Welcome to a financial planning podcast with a down-to-earth vibe, inspiring Sasquatch to sing Kumbaya with the groundhog too. This is Through the Pines. This week, or this month, or this episode, I should say, we have an exciting topic, and that is estate planning. So some may say, like, you know, I'm thanks, I'd rather just paper cut my fingers. But stay tuned. We're going to make this a lot of fun. Uh, we're going to go over why you actually need one and what this can do for you. Eliminate some of the jargon, eliminate the myths, and make it easily digestible for you, estate planning. If you don't know what it is, we'll cover that first. So our financial wizards this week include Rex Baxter, Brandon Smith, Dan Nelson, and Bryce Frohr. So we'll go ahead and bring them in here to the side. There's Bryce, our resident trust expert or real like how do what's your official role title what's your job so so i am uh i'm an attorney attorney with Froer and miles we uh do a lot of estate planning and i'm happy to to join you tonight to answer questions and kind of give some direction on this i love it also on the plan with baxter team dan nelson brandon smith and i guess rex is on his own team so thanks rex for <laughs> hanging out with us here tonight bryce we'll start with you i suppose what is estate planning and why is it important so estate planning is is the process by which we everybody has the opportunity to explain in writing what they'd like to do with their assets uh, after they've passed away. It designates the individuals who are supposed to be in charge. It designates the individuals who are to make legal decisions, medical decisions, and then who specifically is to get uh, the benefits, if there are any, uh, after after we've passed away. It's just a, a plan to deal with your assets when you're gone. This sounds like every like so simple, and everyone should have one. Why are these? Why do they sound painful? Why are people afraid of estate planning with 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 trusts and everything? Like, why is this so hard for us? Maybe sometimes to get our head around because it sounds like something everyone should adopt. And I would agree that the issue I think is that people generally don't like to think about. Um, what's going to be what's going to be happening when they've passed away they don't want to have to make those kinds of decisions uh, and yet like you said it's not uh, it doesn't have to be complicated there are, there are situations that are complicated but but it's it's not a complicated process and and uh, i would say most people should have a, a trust and a will uh, primarily to avoid the probate process and we can get into the specifics of that but but it isn't, it isn't scary, um, and and some people just don't want to think about those things at this point in their lives. <clears throat> uh, Rex, let's bring you. I see you have your mic off. Did you want to chime in here from the beginning? Sure. Yeah. So I've I've worked with Bryce for a long time, and and you know certainly certainly one of my favorite people in the world. But the, one of the sayings that he says very very frequently that just has always stuck with me is is when you're talking about estate planning is you're dealing with who gets what when did i say that right bryce that's exactly right yeah and and so that's that's you know i think that's exactly what estate planning is about is is who is going to get what and when do they get it um and and that's what we're trying to address and it, it's amazing at how complex it gets if you don't go through an estate planning process if you you know i i think bryce would probably attest that that he probably, and, and maybe he doesn't, doesn't want to do this, but he probably makes a lot more money on those people that don't do their estate planning as opposed to those that do. I'll, I'll be frank. We, we love to do probate uh, cases mm -hmm. where people have died and, and they don't have a trust. Uh, and so we get to go to court and, and yeah, that's, that's, uh, I, sh I shouldn't be saying it like this, but yeah, it's more lucrative to do a probate plan. Uh, through the courts than it is to do an estate plan um, initially. For example, just just some numbers up front, the, the probate process typically runs about $3,000 right now to get someone appointed as the personal representative and give them authority to act on your behalf if you've passed away. With a trust, you spend about half that much 
and you don't have to go to court. You don't have to involve the court system at all. Statutorily, we are are authorized by our legislature, by the state of Utah, and, and frankly, by, uh, by our congressional representatives, uh, Congress, um, to distribute our assets to those we wish to have our, our assets after we've passed away by way of a trust, which is really, really nice. So, Bryce, is this something that pretty much anyone can have? In other words, if all I have is an, a retro Ogden City Monopoly game that uh, means a lot to me, you know, and that's all. I don't have a house. I don't have anything else. Should I, have an, should I go through an estate planning process to make it easier when I'm gone? So in terms of an estate plan, um, if you have a monopoly game, you don't need a trust. Uh, you don't even need a will. You need maybe a letter to your, your favorite nephew that says, you know what, favorite nephew, I want you to have my monopoly game. But if you own real estate, if you have bank accounts, if you have assets that, that exceed, I'm going to say $100,000, it would probably be beneficial for you to have an estate plan, which would include a trust, just because you would be able to avoid that probate process and have somebody um, authorized by you to assist you should you be in, should you be put in a care facility. For example, if, if Rex were to be in an accident and be unable to speak and un unable to give instructions, because he's married, his wife, Jenny, would be able to make those decisions for him. But let's pretend that he's not. If he had an estate plan, he would authorize somebody to make those kinds of decisions for him. Otherwise, somebody has to go to court to get that authority, which is time-consuming, expensive, and a bit of a hassle. Brandon, do you have a comment on this? Yeah, I'd just throw in there as well. Um, oftentimes, younger clients feel like, hey, you know, I don't have, you know, maybe especially lately with the housing market, you know, I've got a little bit of equity in my house, you know, my IRAs, 401ks are just getting started. There's nothing significant to speak to. It's just going to go to my kids anyway. But but what a lot of people fail to realize is if, if you have a proper amount of life insurance, um, which can range, you know, from from a million dollars, two million, whatever, however much life insurance you have, um, if you and your wife pass away and you both have life insurance, it turns into a significant dollar amount that, that in my opinion, when I was doing my trust, right, I, I looked at it and said, man, if I, you know, hit my kids with $2 million when, you know, and they've lost their mom, they've lost their dad, and now they're given at age 18, you know, a, a huge sum of money, that that's enough to ruin just about any kid, you know, no matter what kind of foundation you've given them. And so that for me was, was one of my main considerations when I did a trust is I just wanted to make sure that if, you know, heaven forbid, heaven forbid something happened to my wife and I, um, that our kids would be taken care of, you know, and that I wasn't just going to destroy them with, with a huge sum of money. Yeah. I, it, we can debate on whether or not it's, it's, uh, destroying them if they just go out and buy a Lambo, but, uh, you know, you never know. So, Bryce, how do we get started doing this? Are there documents we need? Do I have to be wealthy? What's the price range? Is it the more money I have, the more it's going to cost me? Like, how do we get rolling on doing uh, a trust and some estate planning? Yeah, so um, when we, for example, when Rex uh, brings in a client, um, I, I sit down with them and, and we talk about what they have and um, get a feel for for where they're at in their life, whether they're uh, near retirement, whether they're young like Brandon, uh, do they have young kids? Do they have older kids? Who do they trust? Um, and, and then we talk about um, one of the questions I ask in terms of, okay, who's gonna be in charge? Um, and I'll use Rex just because I know him well enough. If he, and, if, if he and Jenny were with me today, I would say, all right, Rex, if you, if you passed away and Jenny was in a care facility who should be in charge? Who would take care of you the best? And, and that's the person who, would we, who, who we would want to be designated as the successor trustee. Um, the, as I said a few minutes ago, it's really not, uh, we don't base what we charge on how much you have, but if you own real estate, if you have life insurance, like Brandon indicated, if you have uh, a retirement plan, creating a trust, a pour over will, 
the durable power of attorney, the medical directive, uh, and deeds supporting documents. That's what, what we would recommend and, and try and help you um, create. Rex? Yeah, I, I think <clears throat> those are a lot of documents. And so we need to probably dig into to each of those a little bit as to what each of those are. But I, I think a lot of times what what hinders people from getting started is is kind of two things. And and one is um, I'm too young, you know, like Brandon had said, I'm too young. I don't I don't have a lot of assets and they, and they forget about the life insurance. But they also lots of times just figure, oh, somebody, you know, my my parents will take care of my kids or, you know, or my sister will. And, and I'll let them know to take care of it. I'll tell them. Well, and that's great that you told them. Appreciate that. And, and next thing you know, you'll be hiring Bryce to go through all the legal work to, to make that happen. Um, and so I, I think one of, the, one of the lines I hear the most is, am I old enough to, to have to get my trust work done? And lots of times that comes from 60-year-olds, 70-year-olds, you know, even sometimes 80-year-olds. Is Am I old enough to have to do that now? And, and you're probably old enough when you're 25 or 30. You so know? it's and, not based on age. It's more based on maybe if you want, if you're going to leave anything behind. Right. That, that's exactly right. So Dan, Dan, how about you over the last, you know, 40 years? What, what have you seen that way? Yeah. As I've, I've experienced uh, lots of painful situations with clients where they didn't have this work done as I view uh, state work, uh, trust work, when you're Brandon's age and you have young children, I think the most important thing you need to know is sometimes to you and your spouse, what happens to the kids? And that, that's, that's the vital part. What, what happens to the kids and what happens to the money that will take care of your kids? Uh, when you get my age, uh, it, it becomes important to have that updated and changed where the kids are raised, they have their own families, you're, you have grandchildren. Uh, it is more important as to how do you want your stuff divided up? What is your wishes as far as your, uh, what, you, uh, what you have in your life and what's important to you in your life and who would you like that all to go to? And you don't want what you don't want, and we see this all the time in this business, is you don't want brothers and sisters fighting over uh, things that they thought were promised to them. And the estate plan sorts all that out. I think that's what's important. Yeah, I, I've seen it happen. And so, uh, and it probably happens more than we would like. Uh, so, Bryce, I've seen, I've seen a list of documents here. A trust document, pour-over wills, a POA, immediate versus springing, health care directive, medical POAs. I don't know if you want to touch on any of these. You probably dive into these when you're actually talking to a client. Uh, but what do we need to know here for this podcast? So, so let's start with the, the easier ones. Let's start on the bottom of that list with the medical power of attorney. Uh, Utah has a statute that, that allows us to select um, someone. Actually, we, in, in, the, in the documents we use, we, we select two, a first agent and a second agent, to be able to make medical decisions for you if you can't make them yourself. And, and, and if you've ever had to deal with HIPAA issues, um, hospitals won't talk to you because unless you've got a, a medical directive or a, a medical power of attorney is what it really amounts to, they, they can't share with you um, information about your loved one. And so as part of the plan that we create, that's one of the documents we prepare for you. We, um, desi- we, we asked you to designate for us um, who those two people would be. And normally, if you're married, it would be your spouse. Um, and then somebody that you trust that in the event that you couldn't make medical decisions for you and your spouse wasn't able to either, that alternate person could make, could give directions to your doctors about what you wanted done. It also includes that, that living will provision where you've designated what you want happening in the event life support living on machines is, a, is an option. Uh, and in that medical directive, you indicate what you want done with regard to life support. <clears throat> and so that's the first document. Anybody want to comment on those? Clear as mud. 
So I'll, I'll, oh, here's I'll comment on that, but uh, just because I've seen that not only with clients and, and their loved ones and spouses, but also in the family to where how frustrating is that to, to be trying to take care of a loved one, you go to the hospital and, and they look you in the face and they're like, I just can't tell you anything. I can't share anything with you. And, and everybody's trying to do the right thing. Everybody wants to do the right thing, but their hands are legally tied. And, and the last time in the world that we want to have to deal with, with going and getting documents done and things like that is when we're so emotional, um, either out of frustration, out of care, out of fear, it, those are terrible times to be making decisions and terrible times to get into a situation where you're having to go and get legal work done at that point. Um, so so, so that would be my thought. If I may, Brandon, I can share just recently, last month, um, a, a, an older couple in their, in their 70s, late 70s, came into my office. Their 45-year-old daughter, who uh, has some mental health issues, was in the hospital in a catatonic state. In other words, she was non-responsive. And they were this close to, to uh, having the doctors turn the machines off. But because the daughter, again, who's 45, had not created a medical directive, the hospital wouldn't, wouldn't allow them to make that decision. And so we ended up having to go to court to get them appointed as her guardians so that then they could give instructions to the doctors and uh, make those kinds of medical decisions that a medical directive would have, would have allowed them to do. Yeah, I don't think we think about this ever. Well, and this was kind of a, a unique exception to what you usually see. You know, parents usually aren't having to make medical decisions for children, adult children. But in this case, it's a good example as to why that medical directive was very helpful. And, and ultimately, the daughter did come out of the the medical condition she was in and we were able to get her to sign a medical directive and now her parents can help her out that that's just a an example of how helpful those can be in in day-to-day -day situations all right I, yeah go ahead i was just gonna say another thing with that is is you can also designate what you would like to have happen while you're conscious while you're thinking well and 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 that can be in my opinion, one of the nicest things you can do, right? If, if it's just nice to make that decision for loved ones, so they don't have to think and say, "Well, if he were here, what would he want to have happen?" Um, and so, so it can be beneficial that way as well. Right. So we're here, Plan with Baxter, the team, planwithbaxter.com. Uh, we are talking, this is the Through the Pines podcast. We are talking about estate planning, eliminating myths, and defining jargon. Uh, any more of those documents in that we mentioned that you, you want to go over, Bryce? Yeah, again, another fairly common one is the um, power of attorney. And in the notes, we have we have immediate versus springing. So, so a, a power of attorney uh, is um, similar to the medical directive, except that it deals with legal decisions. For example, Brandon, if you gave me power of attorney... I can do anything you can do as long as I have the document, meaning I could open a bank account, I could access a bank account, I could sign your name to a deed, I could sell your property. That's really helpful if you're disabled or if you're um, out of the country and need something signed. And in an estate planning setting, that document we give to the husband and the wife, and then I typically would ask for an alternate, for example, if we had Rex and Jenny, sorry, Rex, I'm going to keep using you. <clears throat> if we had Rex and Jenny here, I would say, all right, Rex, if Jenny wasn't able to make this legal decision for you of your children, who do you feel confident would be, would, would make a good decision for you from a legal perspective? The other thing about the power of attorney, keep in mind that those cease to be valid at your death. And some people are, have the misconception that, well, I have a power of attorney, so I'm fine. That's true as long as you're alive. You've designated somebody to make those decisions for you while you're alive. But at your death, they're no longer they're no longer valid. Rex, are right. we are we getting into Britney Spears territory? What was this power of attorney stuff like? What 
what power did they have over her? Well, so so that that definitely is this different? Um, is no, I well, no, it's not different. I mean, it's it's slightly different, right? They set up a what they call a conservatorship, to where her dad was her conservator, and then as the conservator, he also had um, control of her assets as, as well um, in that conservator role. And and Bryce can talk more about that, but I think. On, that, he on came on to talk about Britney Spears. That's what he, that's what he yeah. mentioned earlier. So <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure, I'm pretty sure underneath that dress shirt he's got a free Britney T-shirt. A free Britney T-shirt yeah. underneath it. I'm pretty sure. But, it's in my desk um, <laughs> Yeah. So I I I can't tell you how many times over my career, you know, just exactly what Bryce said. People have you know we're talking about their their assets and beneficiaries, and we're talking about their estate. And how many times they've said, but Rex, I've got a power of attorney. I'm good. I'm taken care of. And, and inside I'm just, I'm dying and chuckling and, you know, everything at the same time, because I know that those, you know, cease to exist when they cease to exist. And so, you know, it, it dies with them and they don't, they forget and don't understand that the power of attorney is great while you're living and, and very important document either to have, you know, in place now and immediate and, and the springing piece as it springs into action um, down the road, if a certain event happens, is essentially so if you become incapacitated, then it can kick into into effect or you, you can set different criteria on that. But um, but it's, you know, we do want to clear up that myth that power of attorneys do do end when you end. Yeah, no, I didn't know that. And that's super important. And so just to clarify, because I was a little slow on, on picking up on, on what Bryce said, and you, you reiterated it. But so if someone has a power of attorney, um, but they but they die, not the power of attorney, but the power of attorney is alive. So now the person is dead, and they need financial decisions made post the power of attorney has no power. Correct. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. Um, okay, Bryce, moving on here. What is personal property and, and how is how is this handled? So I want to talk, let's talk about the trust, the trust itself first, if that's okay. okay. Yep. The trust is the primary document in an estate plan. And as Rex said, when we started out, the, the, the trust is the document that explains those three questions, who gets what and when. So Brandon, if you were to come to me and say, okay, I want to create a trust, um, you would be the who, right? It's your stuff. You transfer those assets into the Brandon, uh, and I don't know your last name, Brandon Brandon Long. Yep, there there is. (laughs) So we create the Brandon Long Trust, and we'd move your house into your trust, and we'd move your bank accounts into your trust, and we'd move your account with Ameriprise into your trust. And you would be the acting trustee. And because it's your stuff, you get to decide how it's spent and how it's used. If you become incapacitated, if you, um, if you get like my mother, my mother has severe dementia. If, if you get dementia, you're still the who, but instead of you, you get what you want when you want it, it's you get what you need when you need it. Mm. And not until you've passed away, do we deal with anybody else getting anything? Um, so the, the trust is the primary document that, that first designates who you, who's in charge should you be unable to be in charge, and second, who gets your stuff, your assets, after you've passed away. It's, it's, it's the document that we can use without having to run to court to get permission from a judge to um, sell, sell your real estate or access your bank account. It's, it's the primary document in an estate plan. Bryce, when did you first hear the word trust? In law school. So, so that's the problem, right? Like we grow up and we don't know. And if, unless, unless someone goes to law school, where do people learn about trusts? Listen to this podcast, you know, how do we get the word out and that kind of a thing? That's a fair question that, that again, with, with our marketing and Rex's marketing and, um, just trying to, to educate people how to protect their assets, to uh, get them into the hands of those whom they want to have them at their passing. Uh, that, that's a good question. Hmm. Brandon, uh, yeah, pipe in, and then you know, I think we need some, some more numbers. 
I'm hungry. You got it. Yeah, you got it. Okay. Um, I, I was just going to say, I think a lot of times people overthink the trust. It just sounds so big and, and like only the, the, you know, super rich people need it. The, the reality is, is it just, it creates an entity that can much more efficiently execute your wishes, you know, better, better than, you know, will or anything else. And so it, that, that was just my only thought is, is I think that the reason they're not more well known about is so often people think that they're for the movies or for, you know, super successful people. When the reality is, is, is financially, they just make a lot, a lot of sense, right? Cause they, they just don't cost that much to get everything put into place. Um, it just makes so much more sense financially just to, just to take care of it and, and make sure you're protected. So well, we do anyway, have, jump. yeah, real quick on that. We do have people like, like Rex and yourself and Dan who introduce people to trust, but you know, when, as financial planners, when did you guys first get introduced to it? Like, what did anybody hear about a trust in high school? No, 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 okay. definitely not. And yet that's when you should be learning about some of these basic things, right? Along with basic financial planning and basic financial budgeting and, and basic financial matters, you know, ought to be learned, you know, in that high school and college setting somewhere. And so I, I had learned about him in college. Um, but then again, my focus was on investments, financial planning, had a few law courses, just enough to, to make me ask silly questions to Bryce who clears up all my misconceptions. And, uh, and so, you know, but it, most people don't. And so it is an education process. It's, it's interesting, even this week, you know, I was meeting with a client and a very successful client, um, you know, they own probably a dozen, dozen restaurants, um, you know, a couple other businesses, a bunch of real estate, uh, they're getting ready to, to sell some of their businesses and, and retire. And, and they've done none of their estate planning at this point. Um, and so we, we had a fairly in-depth discussion about the importance and, and why they want to do it and, and kind of drew out some, some numbers as to what it's going to cost them if they don't do it versus what it'll cost them if they do. And, and it's a pretty unbalanced scale. Um, you know, it costs them a lot more to not do it than to do it. And, and yet here we are dealing with somebody that's in their sixties and, and, you know, they're just barely kind of figuring that out and, and lucky nothing happened to them when they were 30, 40 or 50. Um, but that's not always the case. You just don't know. You can't predict that future. And so it's, you know, kind of the old boy scout motto of always be prepared. Right. Yeah. I just really want to know if it's in the curriculum anywhere in high school somewhere. Dan, do you remember seeing, do you remember the first no. time you heard of trust? No, I sure, sure don't just a college probably. And, yeah. uh, it's interesting, you know, Rex, that you say that because, uh, I, I did a trust years ago, but, uh, went to my wife, tried to get her involved in this and she's a dance teacher, has a dance studio, kind of an artist, not into any numbers whatsoever. Um, and she said, I, I don't want to sign that. And I said, well, why not? Why, why didn't you want to sign it? She says, because as soon as I sign that, I'm sure I'm going to die, you know? <laughs> and so I think you have people that, that kind of think that way. It's kind of like buying life insurance. You don't want to buy life insurance because then, you know, that's a, something bad's got to happen in order to use it, you know? And uh, the same thing with the trust. That's how some people look at it. And uh, so I'm a classic example of I've got to get that updated and get that done uh, now at this point in my life. Uh, and I'm just lucky that uh, I signed it. I signed my, I think we had two trusts, actually. My, I signed mine, but I don't know that she ever did sign hers. So. Oh, interesting. Brandon, let's get some numbers in here. Yeah. I've got to say, on the opposite side of that coin, though, it feels so good to just know that everything's taken care of. Like, if something happened to me, my kids are going to be taken care of. I'm not going to put a financial burden on whoever's taking care of my kids. They're not going to have to sort it out, fight about it between family. I mean, it's just so nice. feels so good. Totally and good. I haven't died yet. Totally so. <laughs> I was say, you look good for a dead person, Brandon. <laughs> Thank you. Um, let's get into some, some more numbers. Um, cars. So, so Rex and I typically, when we, when we uh, advise people on, on sound investments, uh, new and used cars don't come in at the top of the list, but recently the price of new vehicles 
increased by 11.8% in 2021. Are we flipping cars was, now? Is that what we're doing? Well, hold on. It gets better. Okay. That number is dwarfed by the 37.3% increase in used cars and trucks. That is according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Yeah, and I that's had, just crazy. I had someone tell me that I should trade in my car because I get a lot of money for it. And I'm like, it's the same thing as selling your house. Well, now I got to go buy right. another car. <laughs> so <laughs> what the hell good does that yeah. do? Right. Yeah, right. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Rex, yeah. your comments hey, on cars. Talking about cars, uh, let's, you know, we'll, we'll flip, let's flip cars. We'll flip it into estate planning. How are cars handled, Bryce? Because I get this question all the time of, you know, on, on my vehicle or my RV or, you know, my trailer, or whatever the case may be, um, my my van that I drive around and play music in, whatever it is, right, Brandon? You have one of those too? Um, no, I just, oh, okay. I just envy somebody that has one of those. <laughs> <laughs> so how are vehicles handled in estate planning? Yeah, so, so I get that question fairly often. Should I put my car in my trust? And, and my answer is no because of the liability issue. And, and, and again, lawyers create sometimes more problems than, than they solve. But um, if, if you put your, your car in your trust and the trust is the owner, then potentially if there's a bad accident that you caused, your, the owner of your vehicle can be held liable. And so I always, my, my advice is look, don't put your car in your trust, but do have ample insurance to cover any kind of accident that there might be. So, so then, then the question is, okay, well, what happens when I die if, if my name is on the title? Again, statutorily, um, the state of Utah allows us to, to if, if, for example, if my mother dies, uh, I can take the title to her car with a death certificate down to the DMV, and they will change the title to that car to anybody that I designate. Now, there's an exception to that, and, and Brandon was kind of referencing that. <clears throat> as long as the car is not worth more than $100,000. For example, I, I have some friends that live down in St. George, different friends than Rex, because he lives in St. George, and we visited them over Thanksgiving, <clears throat> and they're both retired. And he says, hey, do you want to see my Bentley? And I said, oh, yeah, I, I, I've not ridden in a Bentley before. And he says, yeah, we got a steal. We got it for a steal. We got it for $150,000. And I thought, oh, well, we need to put that in your trust because that can't be transferred by way of DMV and a death, and, and a death certificate because it exceeds that statutory $100,000 value. So I, well, I think that's what I would say about cars and trusts. Give it about six months and the Corollas are going to be $102,000. Yeah, it's only going up. Uh, Rex, do you have any other comments on that? Well, other than the tan van is priceless. And so it definitely Amen. Needs to be Thank you so much. I appreciate that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it's been nuts. Uh, thanks, Brandon, for those more numbers. Uh, what are some of the common roles and responsibilities in, in what's going on here? The, the trusts or the state planning, the personal representative. I have a, a, the bullet point list here. Bryce, so you can help us out. Trustee, successor trustee, beneficiary, and a lot of us have heard some of these terms, and we just kind of might need to be reminded of how they are applicable. A power of attorney, which we've talked a lot about already, a guardian, and a conservator. So what's some of the difference between some of these? Uh, again, the only thing I know and care about is Britney Spears. And so uh, I heard a lot of conservatorship, that word thrown around in that case, and how is that different from uh, you know, a personal representative or a trustee, et cetera. Okay, so let's talk about guardianship and conservatorship. Um, in, in your healthcare directive, you will designate whether, not whether, but who you want to serve as your guardian if you need a guardian. And so, Brandon, if you're a danger to yourself or a danger to others, um, I'll use my mom as an example. If she gets to the point where she she walks outside and can't figure out how to get back back to her house we will need to have a guardian appointed for her because a guardian is over the person right the guardian would decide where the person lives who the person sees what medical treatment the person uh, receives um, they're in charge of the person it's kind of like a parent-child relationship 
conservator, on the other hand, is over the assets. Um, and, and when you say Britney Spears, where her, her father was her conservator, her father was over all of her assets. Um, and so she didn't have any control because she'd been declared incapacitated to a certain extent by a judge. And not until recently was that conservatorship lifted. Whether she needed it or not, I don't, I don't know the specifics about it, but, but her father was in charge of the millions of dollars that she had and was earning, and he decided what, what, uh, what money she had available to her. He decided what she could buy or what she couldn't buy. And, and again, I'll use my mom. If, if she becomes uh, so bad that she can't manage her money, um, she, she's designated in her estate plan who she wants to act as the conservator, who she wants to be in charge of her money. That, that's a, a, a huge benefit for usually it's, it's our senior population that, that needs help. Um, I'll give another example of that though. We uh, uh, just uh, last week, I guess it was, I was in court <clears throat> with a, a young man who was uh, 19. His mother and his sister had petitioned the court to be his guardian and his conservator because he's, he's got some mental health disabilities, he needed that help. And so now he has a guardian that takes care of him and he has a conservator that takes care of his assets. And what assets does he have right now? The little bit that he has coming in from social security is managed by his mother and his sister. And, and that will be real, very helpful to him. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, I, and it, I didn't realize you could have multiple roles involved. Which is which is good. Um, okay, so of state funding. So so let me let me back up to to your list again. Let's oh, talk about. Please do. Um, the we've talked about the power of attorney. Let's talk about the titles in a trust. Some of the common roles and responsibilities question you asked. So in a trust, there are several titles. We have first the grantor or the trustee or the or the trustor, and that's the person. For example, Brandon, if you were you came into my office and you said, you know what, I want to I want to create a trust, we would designate in that document that you are the grantor or the trust or you're the creator, and the trustee, that's the person that's in charge of managing the assets that are in the trust, and as long as you're competent, you get to be the trustee of your trust. If you become incapacitated, I'll say Rex is your designated successor trustee. In other words, he would be responsible to make sure your bills are paid. He would be responsible to make sure that, that you were taken care of with whatever assets you had with the, with the tan colored van you mentioned. Yeah, you thank mentioned. you. Tan van. Yeah. I a hundred percent trust Rex with my tan van. It's very scary. Then the other, the other uh, title that we, we reference in a trust is the beneficiary, right? Um, and so again, after you've passed away, Rex would be responsible to make sure your debts were paid and that um, whatever assets there were left would be distributed to Dan and Brandon. All I uh, heard was that if I die, Rex has to pay my debts. With your <laughs> assets. Oh, okay. With your okay, money, okay. Your Oh, money. my money, my money. Okay, yeah. okay. Um, and, and so those are the titles that we would reference in a trust. The grantor, the trustee, the successor trustee, and the beneficiaries. Now, there are clients that that are very, I'll call them old fashioned, um, who think that their successor trustees should be their children in uh, in basis of how, how old, the oldest is the trustee, mm -hmm. and the second oldest is the successor trustee. <clears throat> I try to, to dissuade them from doing that because it's a an old tradition, I guess, that people have that perception that the oldest child, whether it's a son or a daughter, should be in charge. That's not true. The one that should be in charge is the one that you trust the most to take care of you the best. But let's be real. That's usually the oldest, right? I'm, 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 I'm the oldest. Yeah, I'm going with that. <laughs> Me too. I'm just <laughs> pretty sure it's the youngest. The third child. Dan. The dance three. Yeah. Okay. Third child. So, so, All right. So in my situation, Brandon, when my parents created their trust, um, they designated three of us, the oldest mm. and two in the middle. And, and 
whether that's right or wrong, um, that's what they wanted to see happen. Uh, and and I have I have uh, seven siblings. We're a family of eight, and some of the other five are, I guess, a little bit offended that that we're in charge and they're not. Um, I mean, it is what you do for a living. Well, yes. Uh, the the other the other comment I get, and I hope this will make you laugh, is, is we get a lot of clients that come in and say, "I just want to be fair. I just want to make it fair." And my dad would say, "You know what? Fair is where you go to see pigs and chickens. <laughs> oh it snap! Have to be fair. Yeah, it's what you want it to be." Okay, so um, I mean, I don't I don't think people understand the gravity of the choices that are made when somebody passes and then how immediate the immediately the um, close, close family members can uh, turn on each other, not necessarily because they want to, but just because they, they, like you said, they thought they were getting something and they didn't or, you know, or something like that. And so uh, does this clear up pr- having a, a decent trust, pretty much all of that stuff, or are there still some issues that maybe families will be dealing with? So I, my response to that would be 95% of the time a trust will take care of it. There are occasions when uh, a family member just is so offended and so upset that dad didn't leave them a bigger share or didn't leave them the, the family heirloom that they want to take action in court and contest the trust. Um, and as long as the trust was executed properly, they will not be successful. Um, a lot of my clients also will say, you know what, I want a provision in my trust to say if anybody disagrees with it, they get a dollar. And those are enforceable. It's, mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that, that kids uh, get angry and get offended. But again, I'll go back to fair is where you go to see a pig or a chicken. Um, it's what the client wants to have happen. And sometimes they treat kids differently. Sometimes it is equal. Most of the time it is equal. But sometimes there's kids with special needs, kids with uh, that, that were given a, a a challenging life through no fault of their own that, that the parent wants to take care of a, a little differently, and and they get to do that. That's the nice thing about uh, one of the nice things about trust is that there's no wrong way to distribute your assets. You can you can treat everybody equally. You can give you can give everything to, to one child and nothing to other children. I have clients that say, you know what, I have a, a son or a daughter that, that has a substance abuse problem. And if I give them $10, they'll spend 50. And so I don't want to give them control of anything. I want to help them, but I don't want to give them control of anything because I don't want to contribute, continue to contribute to their, their addiction. And with the trust, you can do that. Yeah. They're, they're a really great tool for, managing assets for those that come after us. Brandon, you have a comment? Yeah. Trusts are cool in the, I mean, you watch the movies, (laughs) right? Trusts are cool. That's all we need to know. (laughs) Trusts are cool. (laughs) I'm going to explain how cool they are. No, you watch the movies and, and you know, there's the crazy parameters. You can get this, but you have to do X, Y, and Z. Mm. That's real. Like you can really write that into a trust. And obviously I I don't think you're trying to make a, a family you know, TV series off of, off of your poor kids, um, no, you know, inheritance. It'd be a fun How- game if you have to make somebody like go to the restaurant here and then do this and then do that before they can get whatever they get, you know, that's kind of fun. I don't know how detailed you can get in that stuff, but you can, yeah. you can go all the way, right. Uh, you can do whatever you want. And, and, and I, I guess I say that not so much to try and make a, a scavenger hunt for your, your beneficiaries, so much as if you've got kids and you're really worried about them and you really want to take care of them and, and you've come up with a way that you think you can help those those kids or beneficiaries in the best way, you can specify those parameters however you'd like, right? That's why that's why a trust isn't just a, a one set thing that you sign here, write your name here. Like Bryce can actually design that and build that out exactly how you would like to see that executed. I know for me, um, you know, I, I want my kids to have experience with some money, but not get all of it lump sum, right? And so there's different ages at which I, I give my kids um, a portion of that. And, and so 
trusts really are they're dynamic and and you can modify that and create it so that it whatever you want to have happen happens when you want it to have happen to who you want it to have happen to and 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 it seems seems to me anyway that most of the disagreement comes when there's when the the beneficiaries have to make a judgment call if you've specified it and it's like wow this is the way mom and dad wanted it there's a lot less contention than if you leave it up to a trustee which i've seen and it just makes me cringe right when when the trust says leave it up to this person to divide this however they see fit it's just like i i, I wouldn't wish that responsibility on anybody right sure you've got all the control yeah. but nobody's going to like you <laughs> afterwards no. yeah so anyway rex you have a comment yeah a, a lot of disagreements um that i see don't necessarily come come out of the trust but a lot of them come from when you know, dad promised this, his favorite rifle to, you know, son number one this Christmas, son number two, you know, two years from now, and son number three, three years from now, and then he passes away and he's promised it to all three sons over the years. Um, and, and so now all three sons think that they're getting the gun and, and that's where the fights begin. And so, right, Bryce, how do we handle situations like that where it's not, I mean, it's easy to split a dollar. I've heard you say that a million times right? It is easy to split a dollar, but it's not easy to split a wedding ring. Yeah. So I'll, I'll use a, a personal experience, um, with my wife's family. Um, my mother-in-law, um, she received an old sapphire ring from her mother who got it from her mother. And we figured we, we calculated that this sapphire ring came into the family in about 1905. And it's probably not worth two or three hundred dollars, right? It's not a a valuable asset from a monetary value, but sentimentally, it's priceless. Um, and and Rex's example is exactly what happened. My mother, my wife comes from a family of six, and and five of those are are girls. And my mother-in-law, in her wisdom, promised it verbally to three of the five. My wife being one of them, and but she never wrote it down. She never she never designated it in a document. To say okay, this this ring is to go to this daughter, and so when she passed away, because she passed away before my father in law, all of the personal property now belonged to my father in law, including this ring, and he held on to it. And fortunately for my wife. Um, on, on one of her birthdays a few years ago before he passed away, he gave it to her as a gift for her birthday, um, which she loved it and wears it proudly and is, is grateful to have it. But it did cause some strife with the other two sisters who had been promised that ring verbally. So what we do to avoid that, as Rex was alluding to, as part of our estate plan documentation, we refer to a letter of instruction regarding personal property. And that's exactly what it's called. And it's interesting. That's the hardest thing I have to get people to do because mm. you have to sit down and say, okay, the 30 six, I want that to go to Brandon and, and the, and the, the dining room table, that's going to go to Dan and the ring is going to go to Jenny. Um, those are really hard choices for people to make. And so when I say that's the hardest thing I have to get people to do, that's true. And, and, and I say to, to my clients, I say, look, you know what? If, if your kids argue about it, if, if we have two of them saying, well, dad promised me that. No, he promised me that. You can take it to court and you can imagine a judge saying, I don't know what to do with it. Sell it and divide the dollar because I can easily split up how we, how we deal with the dollar. But I can't. I can't look in your parents' mind after they've passed away and know what they wanted to do with this asset. So that's really, really important as part of the estate plan that people write down and sign and date that document what they want done with their, their personal property. So the tan van, Brandon, who gets yes. the tan van? Yeah, right now it's it dies with me. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty it hard to bury you in your tan van. Right, right, right. Right, Dan, you have a comment? Yeah, let me ask you a question. Uh, instead of writing it down, what about a, a video, audio, tape? Uh, That's a good a conversation question. Where you're talking about those things. How does that, how does that play out? 
I think that that would work. The, the statute designates that the, the statute regarding trust indicates that if you've written it down and signed and dated it, that's what the court would look for. But I think we're technologically enough advanced enough that, that if you sat down in front of a video recorder and uh, indicated the date, the time, indicated that you knew what you were doing uh, and that it became an issue, that a court would take that as evidence and indicate, yes, in fact, this is what Dan wanted to have done with regard to the personal property. Okay. I've had some clients take pictures and write on the back of the, the mm. picture who they wanted to receive the asset. That too would be a writing that would allow for that asset to be distributed to that individual. Great information. Thank you. Yeah, super interesting. So, Bryce, uh, we're, we're with, with Rex and Brandon and Dan, and they are fiduciaries as part of their, you know, that's their job. What is your role? What do you do? Is it a fiduciary type position as their attorney? How much can you influence or, you know, what is, how do you walk someone through the process? So I don't know, we, we wouldn't be considered a fiduciary because we don't hold any of their assets. What we would be considered as advisors or counselors um, and, and in preparing the documents, um, hopefully do it in such a way that, that the documents, if they were questioned or contested, I'll use that word, um, that the court would say this is done properly and is enforceable. Um, and, and that comes with, okay, did we, did we follow the statutory guidelines, uh, that are outlined in, in the Utah code? with regard to trust? Do we designate that it is, is a trust? Did we have the trustees designated? Do we have the, the beneficiaries designated? Um, was the individual competent at the time? Uh, and is it executed properly? Is it signed and dated and notarized? And, and so we would walk the client through all of those steps. And then um, I'll, I'll use Ameriprise as, as the example. If, if they have an Ameriprise account, we would work with them to get that asset transferred to the trust so that the successor trustee, if they become incapacitated, is able to manage the assets. And if they pass away, the successor trustee can then distribute the assets without Rex or Brandon or Dan having to say, well, you're going to have to go to court to get appointed as personal representative to be able to tell us what we can do because we can't, we can't, talk with you because you're not designated in the document. Yeah, I was just curious because I didn't know how many times the the upset brother or sister was mad at you. Uh, you know, it's, it's your fault, Bryce, because you, you were there. Yeah, it, it happens. Um, and and that's one of the reasons why when we meet with people, they, they can't designate us as a successor trustee. They can't designate us as a beneficiary. That's against the rules. Um, we can't we can't receive anything other than what we charge for our time to prepare the documents and execute the documents. Otherwise we create a conflict for ourselves. Yeah. Rex. I, I think, I think one of the things that, that I really enjoy about Bryce and, and working with him over the years is that, is that he, he does an amazing job of staying agnostic to kind of his, his biases or his, his own personal feelings and experiences um, as far as influencing or counseling um, his clients. But he does a phenomenal job at, at providing examples, just like the ring example, um, of what can happen in different situations depending upon what the clients decide to do. And, and I've worked with, you know, a number of attorneys and, and it's, it's always frustrating when I've seen an attorney that, that says, Hey, look, you need to do it this way because my friend went through a divorce and because of that divorce, this happened. Therefore, everything has to stay in your name. And, and that's right for everybody, period. Mm-hmm. And, and that's not right for everybody. You know, I, I, I think there's not anything that's right for everybody necessarily, other than probably getting their estate plan done. But <laughs> I mean... I, I think I think he does a great job of, of not influencing and I think that's the sign of, of a great attorney yeah. is is being able to share you know pros and cons and examples and and the good the bad the ugly of, of different choices legally of, of what can happen and then I, I, I truly believe that people are smart people can make up their own mind as to what's good for them 
and their family and their decision if given all the all the facts and the examples that, that they need. Yeah. Bryce, Rex used the D word. Uh, so we should maybe cover what happens in a divorce to the trust and how is that laid out? Uh, how, how do you divvy that up if something like that were to happen? So we deal with that fairly regularly. In addition to estate planning, we do, we do family law and, and yeah, it comes up. Um, the, there are statutes in place that, for example, if, if um, Rex and Jenny are married and, and Rex has life insurance and he, and he names Jenny as the beneficiary of that life insurance policy and then they get divorced, because of the divorce decree, that changes that, de- that beneficiary designation automatically. Um, and so, so there are provisions there in place. With a trust, that's not also, that's not also true. So if, if, if I have a trust and uh, I list my wife as my, my beneficiary and my wife and I get divorced and I don't change my trust, the court will enforce my trust. Mm. And so, yeah, if, if, uh, if there's a divorce, um, if your children get divorced and you, you uh, have, have, have listed your daughter-in-law or your son-in-law as one of the beneficiaries, that stays unless there's an amendment made. And it's not hard. It, Brandon mentioned trusts are great. Trusts, are, they are great. They're easy to, they're easy to create and they're easy to change. Uh, and so, so for example, if, if, if there was a divorce, it's just an amendment to the, to the main trust that has to be done. It doesn't, you don't have to redo the entire trust, which makes it really convenient to just have an ongoing relationship with your your attorney your financial advisor to make sure that things are in place yeah all right this is the through the pines podcast and we are talking about everything for you know the the, the retire not retirement the what happens when you go you know the the eliminating the myths the jargon of all of this estate planning trust stuff that, that we'll call it stuff when we don't know because bryce is the only one who knows all all of this stuff that's why we go to bryce so uh we're wrapping we're getting towards the end of this thing but there's different kinds of trusts. so i don't know how much we need to know about all the different kinds but why should we use certain ones over over others revocable irrevocable family a bypass trust, asset protection trust, their special needs, and then this is my favorite part: uh, T crat crat grat clat. It's like what is all of this language <laughs> at the end down here that I'm seeing, and and why are all of these? Are, do we need multiple kinds of trusts? What's where do we go? I, I with think these? that's a I think that's a great teaser, Brandon, for there, our yeah. next podcast. I okay, I think we can do that. I think. I think we just tease everybody with with tea crats and grats tea and zero tea, tea crats and and you know everything else that you know. I, I feel like that old commercial where they what is it the the lions and tigers and bears oh my right yeah yeah <laughs> kind of thing. So. I'm sh- it's all acronyms and I'm sure they're very important and I'm not here to make fun of them but I have no idea what they mean so. Yeah, <laughs> but there are different kinds, and so maybe we can just uh, just gloss over, like, uh, you know, what do we, you know, what which one's important to maybe establish first or something like that. Let, let's just talk about maybe maybe have Bryce talk about revocable versus irrevocable really quick because that's one of the ones that comes up a lot, um, and and kind of o- oversees a bunch of the other kinds of trusts. Yeah. So. Um, the most common trust that we create for our estate planning clients is the revocable trust. And it is what it sounds like, meaning, meaning it can be changed, it can be revoked, it can be amended. Um, and, and for an estate plan to outline uh, who you want to be in charge if you become incapacitated and who you want to receive your benefits after you've passed away, the revocable trust is the best option uh, for most people because you remain in charge. Again, Brandon, if you, if you came to me and said, you know what, I want to create a trust, I would say, all right, we're going to do a revocable trust because you're in charge and you can change this anytime you want. Um, once you become incapacitated, it becomes irrevocable. Once you die, it becomes irrevocable. Um, and so that, that, that title, an irrevocable trust, we don't do those very often because you lose control. Uh, occasionally we'll have a client come in and say, you know what, I want to create a, 
a trust to hold property uh, that I benefit from, but that I don't control. And so we will create an irrevocable trust, but they, they have to understand that they no longer control that asset. The trustee controls that asset. Usually the trustee will be a family member, someone they trust to use the asset as it's supposed to be, but that person who created it loses complete control. And so we don't do those very often. Even when, even when our clients are in their 70s and 80s, as long as they're competent, my advice to them is, look, you've, you've lived a lifetime managing your stuff. There's no reason that you shouldn't continue to manage your stuff. And so we create those revocable documents for them because they want to be able to continue to access their bank accounts or sell their property or buy a new car without somebody else's permission. Yeah, good stuff. Bryce, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Uh, estate planning, eliminating myths and defining jargon. We have we have more. We're going to break this up. We have another podcast that we'll talk a little bit more about estate planning. So uh, thank you so much, Brandon Smith, Dan Nelson, and Rex Baxter. For more information, if you'd like to get in touch with any of these fine Gentlemen on the podcast today, visit planwithbaxter.com. I am R. Brandon Long, and this has been Through the Pines, reminding you to use yesterday's dollars to finance tomorrow's dreams. Mm-hmm.